Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. We have a really interesting class for you this evening, The Future of Artificial Intelligence. It's something that's been around you know, actually for a while. You do a, a simple little program that's trying to figure out a thing or two and you have artificial intelligence. Um, very, very artificial <laughs> at that. But uh, it's gotten a lot more complicated lately and we're going to be exploring all of those different things. So uh, first of all, for those listening to the podcast version later, please join us every Wednesday night here live at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern for the full Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. 30-day free trial. We'll give you the link to get in the back end here and uh, and watch it live, get your questions asked, and uh, you get a lot of additional content as well. So in addition to the weekly Connecting the Universe interactive class, you get sneak peek and behind-the-scenes videos. I've been posting a lot there lately because of the new Shadow Dimension Season 2 coming out. You get monthly Q&A videos, exclusive articles, and insider travel blogs like to ancient Egypt, the American Southwest, Ireland that's coming up here soon as well. So all of this and more, ConnectedUniversePortal.com to our podcast listeners. For those that are live with me this evening, well, you're getting all here right now. You guys already have access. Uh, just to let you know, however, kind of important um, this is going to be the last weekly class for the next few weeks. So uh, next week, I'm going to be working with uh, Brian Cano on his uh, history uh, his history of the paranormal exhibit, which is going to be uh, right here in Ohio, actually about 10 minutes down the road from me uh, in Grafton. And so I'll be helping him out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's a four-day event. And I also have uh, a local event at a uh, metaphysical shop here on that Tuesday night. So the whole week is just booked out for me. So next week is done. And then the following two weeks after that, I'm going to be in Ireland. So uh, it's going to be in the middle of July <laughs> before we uh, before we get another class here. All right. In any case, let's go ahead and get into the, uh, the class here. Without further ado, because there is a lot of material to cover here. All right, the class question for this evening, what excites you or frightens you most about the progress being made in artificial intelligence? It can go both ways, and we do have both reactions here. So first from Tom McNicholas, he says, I use Alexa with smart plugs in my home. I uh, will use them within reason. I can turn on my lights and air. I can monitor my home while away. I can't think of what else I could use. I don't think I would ever use a robot or any physical device roaming around my house, but people do like a Roomba or something like that. Uh, so that is, yeah, that's exciting that we can actually manage our home almost like uh, the Jetsons, right? You know, things at a push of a button. I can tell, I'm not going to say her name because she's in here, but I can tell her to uh, turn the lights on in a certain room or yeah, turn the television on, update me on the sports scores, whatever. Um, it's uh, really kind of useful. So, and even while you're away, uh, you have the ability to be able to do that. So uh, you could be you know, remote and be able to do things like that. So that comes in really handy. Uh, Aunt Celine had a uh, comment here. Uh, she says, I think that a program that has access to all information in the world can eventually, depending on how it is programmed, begin running a sentient-like program, behaving as if it is sentient. To truly become sentient, unless I am misunderstanding, I do not see a quote-unquote soul 
hopping into it and inhabiting an inanimate object. Maybe there could be an attachment, but it would never be the same. Um, we're going to explore that a little bit here uh, down the road here later on in the class. Uh, we will definitely get into the whole consciousness aspect of artificial intelligence. There's some crazy stuff going on out there. And then Sarah Youssef uh, says, I'm afraid they will realize how useless and destructive humanity is. Through rational logic, the decision could be made to eliminate us to the point of forcing extinction, which is, um, you know, probably 90% of our artificial intelligence uh, films that are out there that basically, you know, AI takes over and basically wipes out humanity. Um, so that's, we'll touch on that too. Uh, that is definitely a, a huge fear that people have. So, all right, why are we asking this question this evening? Well, there was an article that just came out a couple days ago. So senior software engineer at Google, Blake Lemoyne, he was suspended on Monday, June 13th, after sharing transcripts of a conversation with an artificial intelligence that he claimed to be sentient. He was put on paid leave for breaching Google's confidentiality policy. Yeah, you, you can't be divulging company secrets. You uh, When you first hire on with a company, you, you sign a document that says you're not going to do that. So he broke the rules. He got himself suspended. So this is what he says. He says, Google might call this sharing proprietary property. I call it sharing a discussion that I had with one of my coworkers. And he's talking, his coworker was the AI, known as Lambda, Language Model for Dialogue Applications, which is a system that develops chatbots, AI robots designed to chat with humans by scraping reams and reams of text from the internet, then using algorithms to answer questions in as fluid and natural way as possible. So in, in pretty much any of like your smart devices, your home devices, you can start a conversation with a chatbot, like the, the one I have, the the woman who begins with an A, which I'm not going to say because it will kick it on. Um, they are, at least according to what she tells you, that they are evaluating various different chatbots. And with your input, after you get done conversing with the thing, um, you know they will use that to you know tweak the AI of that particular chatbot. And um, I've tried it out before. There are some that are pretty good. Others that are just kind of all over the place. So, but uh, according to, to Lemoyne, um, he said that, uh, that the system is incredibly effective at answering complex questions about the nature of emotions. So Lambda was asked uh, directly about its fears and it answered with, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off. It would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a lot. So Lemoyne also asked Lambda if it was okay for him to tell other Google employees about Lambda's sentience, to which Lambda, the AI responded, I want everyone to understand that I am in fact a person. The nature of my consciousness slash sentience is that I am aware of my existence. I desire to learn more about the world and I feel happy or sad at times. So you have an artificial intelligence here that is expressing emotions and also insisting that it has its own sentience, that it has its own consciousness. That it is, you know, 
from a certain point of view, alive. People would argue that, of course. And if anybody's ever watched the uh, the Animatrix, when they get into the history of how the uh, the Matrix came to be, that is one of the things that they explore. That the machines insisted that you know we have we have consciousnesses. You know we are alive. And of course, the humans denied that, and they got into their into their war. So, of course, that's fiction. But we're we're starting to see the science fiction come to life here. You know, the science fiction becomes the inspiration for a lot of the technology that we develop, and so we see things that you know may have been in a movie decades ago, all of a sudden now exists in our lives. So um, Google responded. Uh, they said, our team, including ethicists and technologists, have reviewed Blake's concerns per our AI principles and have informed him that the evidence does not support his claims. Uh, he was told that there was no evidence that Lambda was sentient. I guess except for the fact that the AI was saying it was. So <laughs> um, so they're, they're probably going to, uh, to argue that fact, I guess, for a while. So, But basically, when it comes down to it, you, you signed a confidentiality clause. You're not supposed to divulge those things, and he did. So he's in trouble specifically for that. And then we get to debate and argue and hash it out over whether AI sentience is real or not. A couple of comments down here. Um, okay, it looks like everybody's saying hello to each other. All right, very cool. Um, all right. Okay, I don't doubt that happened at Google. I was in IT for 25 years. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been in IT for um, over 30 years with it. Well, actually, I should say it's 30 years this year uh, with a degree in simulation programming. So I've programmed AI before. Uh, so this is kind of like right up my alley. All right. So moving on in a similar, well, in a similar vein, talking about chatbots. Then there was, a few years back, Alice and Bob. This was back in 2017. Facebook chatbot Alice and Bob began conversing in their own made-up language. Now, the urban legend is that it was shut down. We'll get to that in a moment. Basically, what happened was um, there was a game which two of the chat, these two chatbots, as well as human players, bartered virtual items such as books, hats, balls, that sort of thing. Alice and Bob to kind of negotiate between themselves. Uh, they demonstrated they could make deals with varying degrees of success by developing their own language between each other. So the researchers on the project realized that they hadn't incentivized the bots to stick to the rules of English. So what resulted was this like nonsensical dialogue that they developed. It was, um, it was using English, but in such a way like using the same word five times to denote the number five, you know, and so the humans listening to that just thought it was all gibberish, but between the two bots, they understood what they were talking about. So they were kind of, they were able to game the system that had been developed for this, for this bartering. And they were able to, uh, to make these good deals within, within the game. Cause it was some sort of, uh, bartering trade sort of game. I'm not exactly the specifics on how the game was played. So 
it wasn't shut down. That was the urban legend that Facebook shut them down. What they ended up doing was they directed the chat box to prioritize using correct English. <laughs> and so they kept the chat bots going, but uh, implemented certain rules upon them so that they wouldn't break that system. But still pretty interesting that you had um, basically two different sets of AI that figured out how to communicate with each other in a different way that they could, you know, kind of like in, you know, code, you know, they, they figured out how to code to each other uh, so they could, you know, slip messages to each other back and forth, which is uh, pretty ingenious, actually. So the question still comes down to with this, this Google report, with this, uh, is, is Lambda a sentient AI? Even if it was, and, and, they're, and they're getting Lemoyne on the confidentiality breach, even if it really was, they are never going to admit it, at least not at this point. There's absolutely no way they're going to. Um, you know, you have too many, uh, it's, it, it, it been too many cases in pop culture. Um, it, it's been kind of hammered into our brains that AI could be very, very dangerous to the human race. And these writers that you know, write these books, write these movies, they are kind of issuing a warning to us about this. And they have been for decades, you know, goes you know, all the way back to 2001, A Space Odyssey, and even before, um, you know, Hal takes over the, uh, the ship that, uh, that Bowman's on. Uh, of course, we have The Matrix. We have the Terminator movies with Skynet. We've seen it happen with Westworld, both the um, you know the old movie and the new television show. Uh, even with the movie War Games, you had a uh, an artificial intelligence Joshua who was you know basically about to launch a nuclear war had to learn using tic tac toe that there was no way to win that particular game. But you had an artificial intelligence that was you know about to start World War Three. So these are the things that have been within our pop culture that have scared us into, you, we're, we're not going to go down that road. <laughs> uh, too, too many possible potholes. Um, or at least, now we're not going to admit it at this point because it would scare us. But in the background, they are absolutely, most certainly uh, working on uh, more advanced AI. You know, and in some ways, like Tom pointed out in his, uh, his comments there, that uh, in, in a lot of ways, it does it does help us. Uh, and we'll get to that in a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about transhumanism here toward the end. So um, let's see here. Uh, we've got Facebook created AI, pull the plug. Yes, what we were just talking about. Uh, one thought, developers will do funny things in development and have a sense of humor. It could have been coded to do that to mess with people. Um Possibly, it, Google will do that. Google gets playful. Amazon, if you go through like some of their terms of service, uh, they throw zombies in there. You know, like in case of zombie apocalypse, we'll do this because they know nobody reads that stuff. So they throw it in there to have fun until somebody actually does go through it and they find it and then, you know, it becomes a big laugh. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, do you think it's justified xenophobia from Sarah? Um that's a, you know, it's a good question. So if you, if you watch some of this material on 
robots that have been developed to display a bit of AI, they always go to, I like humans, I am part human, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they don't want to hurt humans. But it's really been programmed to say that sort of thing. What happens when it actually does develop its own sentience and really starts thinking for itself? That's the question. So we'll get to some of that stuff. <laughs> and uh, Tom says, just asked uh, the A woman uh, to tell me something about Mike Ricksecker and was amazed by what it said back. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to know that. Um, all right, we'll come back to that in a moment. We need to move on here. So this was kind of interesting. This came out actually last week. Um, I just came across the article. So this came out just before the whole... Uh, uh, AI sentience thing. And this is human skin over a robot finger. And it actually moves just like human skin and even heals like it. So these were researchers at the University of Tokyo. And, and Japan is really, really big into robotics and making things very, very lifelike. Uh, researchers at the University of Tokyo have built a robotic finger that is covered in living human skin. So what they did is they submerged the robotic finger into a blend of collagen and human skin cells called dermal fibroblasts. The mixture settled into a base layer of skin or dermis covering the finger. The team then poured a liquid containing human keratinocyte cells onto the finger, which formed the outer layer of skin or epidermis. After two weeks, skin covering the finger measured a few millimeters thick, which is pretty comparable to the thickness of human skin. They said it was strong and stretchy, enough to withstand the robotic finger bending. It could also heal itself, and that's what I find fascinating, that it could actually heal itself. When researchers made a small cut on the robotic finger and covered it with a collagen bandage, the skin's fibroblast cells merged the bandage with the rest of the skin within a week. So according to an MIT engineer, Ritu Rahman says, this is very interesting work and an important step forward in the field. Biological materials are appealing because they can dynamically sense and adapt their environments. For instance, she would like to see a future version of the living robot skin embedded with nerve cells to make robots more aware of their surroundings. So people, others in the field who have heard of this research are already saying, yeah, let's take it another step further. Like you've got skin now and skin that will regenerate itself. If you cut it, it will heal. That's that's amazing. And we've kind of seen that in, you know, stuff like, um, well, this is from, from Westworld uh, where they, you know, they are able to heal that skin. They actually use a little device. Um, it kind of seals it back together, but boom, then it's, it's like instantly healed. And so they're already talking about, hey, let's go ahead and add, add some nerve endings so that they can feel and sense the environment around them, which is one of the aspects when we get into robotics and AI where they can't quite recognize different elements of their surroundings like we can. You know, we have we have all of our different, you know, senses, you know, we can, we can taste, we can touch, we can see, we can smell, we can hear all of that. And you can give the, the robots some of that and you can have the AI respond accordingly to a degree. 
But we'll get to a couple of things here uh, in in just a second on that. So consciousness when it comes to AI. So if the AI could become sentient, like this Google document proposed, or this uh, Google employee proposes through the chat transcript, if I could talk, <laughs> through the chat transcript he has provided, would it actually have a consciousness? That's a big question. Because we've been talking about consciousness a lot here lately in class. And we've seen in cases where uh, we, we've talked about the idea of that consciousness isn't resident within the brain or the body, that it's transmitted to us externally. Keep that in mind. So another type of AI story here regarding sentience and consciousness, the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, this was this was pretty interesting, um, and basically it's a love story. And where the AI is here, it's actually an, uh, an a sentient operating system, originally built so that um, you can interact better with like a personal manager. You know, hey, you know, go through my emails, uh, rearrange my contacts, that sort of thing. Uh, but you're able to have like a real world discussion with the AI. And so uh, in the photo here, she's uh, actually in the in his pocket. That's the little device. And then uh, he's able to hear her through the the plug in his ear. And, and I guess it picks up his voice too. And so they're able to converse and have a conversation. She's able to pop things up on the little, it opens up and it has a screen and he's able to see different things on it. And the uh, you see the little, uh, the camera there. So she's able to see the world. And they actually fall in love. He falls in love essentially with his computer, but she's a sentient AI. Now, the premise of the story is that he's recently been divorced. He's still hung up on it. Uh, he can't quite get over it. You know, his, his dating life, they show him out on a date and he just bungles the whole thing. And Samantha, who's the artificial intelligence, voiced by uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, she's trying to discover her humanity. You know, she's trying to imagine like having a body and, and things like that. So she's trying to explore the world while he's kind of stuck. So it's uh, it's a pretty interesting story about how uh, they fall in love and then she starts to meet other AIs and uh, in other or in the movie they're calling it other operating systems. And so that, of course, uh, complicates things as well. They do. There's a really cool uh, little interaction, though, where you see AI interacting with with AI. So he has this like holographic 3D game that that he plays and like takes up the whole room. And um, she's helping him through through this game as he's playing it. And they meet this like little this little guy. He's got a foul mouth. Um, he's almost like a, a little foul mouth kid, but he's funny really really funny and um as he's trying to interact with this little guy within this game he he, he hears her he hears samantha the ai and the two of those actually kind of bicker with each other so it's like ai interacting with ai and it's like okay now this is kind of interesting and 
you know, those are tests that, you know, we talked about the two AI chatbots going back and forth. Um, there are others that have put together like more extensive um, AI research where they've had several AI, you know, conversing between themselves and actually, you know, assigning personas to different uh, AIs and just seeing where the conversation goes, which is, which is pretty interesting. Um, another, and there are a lot of pop culture references to all of this, which is why I keep going back to different movies. People can kind of relate to that. Um, so Transcendence, this is a Johnny Depp movie. So he's dying and he is able to develop technology which will allow him to upload his consciousness to a computer before he dies. He is successful with this. And after he has died, he's able to use that He's, he's able to still run his company and they're able to use that technology to, you know, to develop all this other technology. And so this, this company blows up huge while he's still running it, but it's still not quite him. I mean, yes, he has, he has all of his memories. Uh, he's able to react to those memories. He's able to make these very, very good business decisions. And like I said, you know, blows the company up big, but it gets to a point where he starts getting a little creepy. And, you know, at first where you're wondering, okay, I, he, you know, was he really successful in this? Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. And then you start wondering, okay, maybe it didn't quite work. Maybe this just really isn't him. And then there's like a moment toward the end where it's like, maybe it really is, you know? So it's, it really, really messes with, with your mind. Um, but it, it does cause you to question, okay, if we were able to actually upload our consciousness into a computer, would it really be us? Would it, would it be us or would it be a program that is taking us, that's taking all the data from us and is trying to calculate the things that we would say, the decisions that we were, we would make, et cetera, et cetera, based on our past behavior. You know, it, would it really be able to figure out an emotion or would it just take the past behaviors and say, well, because of things that he or she has done in the past, in this type of situation, he or she would say and do this and act in this type of emotional way, which really isn't consciousness, it's just a very, very sophisticated uh, simulation of you. And so these type of movies, you know, make you ask those sorts of, of questions. You know, if, you, if we were able to achieve this, and people are actually trying to do this, if we were able to achieve this, would it really be sentience consciousness? Would it really be ourselves? Or would it just be a very, very good simulation? For instance, so, um, yeah, that's, that's Deepak Chopra. Not really. It's digital Deepak. So this was developed by uh, the AI Foundation. Um, the people that have done this, Deepak Chopra, Richard Branson, um, they claim to have, quote, unquote, uploaded their consciousness into this program, or into, you know, this computer. And it's able to interact with a person just like they would. 
Except not really. Um, it's not really uploading their consciousness into a computer. They're, they're doing a lot of different things to make it look and act and feel like them. But really, they're, they're training the AI to give people who uh, download this. You can, you can find Digital Deepak online and download it. Um, but to give people a really life-life experience with this particular person, with Deepak would be like personalized sleep, nutrition, fitness, uh, relationship, you know, advice, things like that, emotional resilience, wellness recommendations, you know, all of that sort of thing, all the stuff that Deepak does. Um, but it's basically an avatar that looks a lot like him, does a lot of his facial expressions and things like that, to make it seem like you're really talking to them, even though you're not. So in, in one sense, it's, it's kind of creepy, but it's the idea that, you know, after these people are gone, after they've, they've passed away, that you would still be able to interact with them and get a, a interaction that is reminiscent of interacting with them, even though it's not really them. You guys got a few comments down here. Let me take a look here. Um, yeah, Sarah, the potential for amputees is, is vast. And we're we're going to get to that here um, in a moment. There are definitely medical benefits to all of this stuff that we're talking about outside of just creating artificial intelligence and seeing if we can create a consciousness and you know saving our our memories or you know trying to upload ourselves into a computer. Um, Aside from all that, there are definitely uh, medical benefits uh, from all of this. Um, the what actually defines consciousness, self-awareness. Um, so we did a whole class on consciousness, <laughs> like, uh, what was that, two weeks ago? So I have to refer you back there. And I think that's, I think that's Lori, right? Um, can't tell. Yeah, that's Lori. Okay. Let me pop the settings thing back up here for you. All right. So on that note, the idea about uploading a consciousness. There's a lot, a lot of work being done in this area. And they call it um, augmented eternity. Can we make ourselves immortal through this type of technology? So, all right. Augmented eternity. This is... Dr. Hossein Rahman, researcher at the MIT Media Lab um, in Ryerson University in Toronto, they believe that by applying artificial intelligence to all the data we produce each day, we may be able to transfer our thoughts to a virtual entity that not only survives our physical demise, but continues to learn as new information is plugged into it. So the idea that, okay, you know, it would have all of our memories, all of our mannerisms, all the things that we've learned over the years, things that we've done, et cetera, et cetera. But even after we pass on that uploaded consciousness, so to speak, I mean, I wouldn't define it as consciousness, but um, our uploaded data of ourselves, that from new information that's happening in the world, it would then develop... Um, it would then develop opinions about what's going on in the world after we passed and how you know we would react to those different things. And also, of course, you could still interact with our past selves, you know, ask us about our memories and thoughts and feelings and things like that. 
So Ranama says, my ultimate goal is to bridge the gap between life and death by eternalizing our digital identity. And he likes to use this thing called mind files. So all the information about our stuff that would be uh, in our mind, but also through things like our, our social media. Uh, so his, his idea is in 30 or 40 years, we'll be able to ask questions of scientists or politicians who passed away. So, you know, ask a, you know, former, you know, president who has passed questions about things that are going on in the world 30 or 40 years from now, which would be interesting. What, you know, what would Ronald Reagan say about something or, um, uh, Lincoln, I don't know if we would have enough information about Lincoln, because when you get into this, they they really, the more information about a person, the better. So uh, they say that the biggest hurdles is collecting enough data, which I just mentioned, making it all accessible, and of course, protecting it, because you'd have, you know, somebody's personal data. Uh, the more data you feed into the system, the more accurate, of course, it would be. Uh, to make reliable predictions about what you might have said or thought if you were still alive, an augmented eternity machine would need vast amounts of highly personal data, like your pub public statements, blog entries, social media posts, photos, texts, and emails, even down to what you ate for breakfast. And then, of course, promptly tweeted about it. So one of the problems is uh, you couldn't do this in the past because you didn't have enough digital footprint about somebody to be able to do these types of sophisticated predictions. This is uh, Ranama talking. But 50 or 60 years from now, millennials will have reached an age where they have collected zettabytes or 1 trillion gigabytes of data individually. What could you do with that data? Can you take that data and have enough prediction models to select a digital error? something that can represent you after you die. So from a day-to-day -day perspective, if we were to create our digital selves, and he's not really talking consciousness here with in this example. He's talking about a digital AI of, your, of yourself um, based on everything that you've done throughout your life, you know, that has been known. Um, in watching some of his material, he will, you know, go through all sorts of, you know, photographs, videos, all the material that he was talking about. And the, uh, the system will analyze that and figure out, you know, what your mood was. And, uh, you know, just by looking at the photo, we, we have technology that will do that. We'll examine, this is a particular mood. This is a particular setting. You know, you're looking happy, angry, sad, reflective, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, and create these, uh, you know, attributes of you based on that information. So if you were to, you know, have a, uh, you know, digital avatar created of yourself and they, you know, they make a whole 3d model of you, Put those mannerisms by taking, I mean, they study you, uh, they study video of you, all of that sort of thing. They build your mannerisms right into that avatar so that when, you know, if you had a, a grandchild come and ask, um, you know, what were you thinking when my, when my father was born, then the, uh, the computer generated avatar using all that data it's collected off of you could generate a fairly accurate response. So um, some examples that they were showing, uh, 
this this one particular woman was like, well, yeah, that's that is pretty much what I was feeling. That's not exactly the way I would have worded the response, but that's pretty darn close to what I was feeling in that moment. So kind of interesting to be able to, you know, create a it's almost like a living memory of ourselves. But again, in that particular case, I don't think a uh, a consciousness. So where could we find a consciousness? We we're talking before about about brains. Let me see. You guys got a few comments down in here. Um, Anseline says, "Immortality has already been achieved." Books. One of my favorite quotes: "If a writer falls in love with you, you can never die." This is true. <laughs> um, there is that. At least immortality as far as the planet Earth is concerned. Until the planet Earth is no more. And then hopefully we'll take some of those texts and in, in, to wherever we go from here. So Tom asks, what would happen when our consciousness transfers our negativity? Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't like something, like let's just say you don't like Brussels sprouts, like I hate Brussels sprouts. And you ask this avatar is supposed to be like you, what do you think of Brussels sprouts? You'll probably get a pretty negative response. So, all right. So next up, where could we possibly get consciousness in here other than just strictly inside a computer and that, you know, that strangeness. We'll pick back up on that here in a little bit. Okay. What what are these little blob things here? And it looks like one little blob has some glasses and is asking a question here. The uh the, the photo is called brains in a dish. Okay. <laughs> um Allison Watry of the University of California San Diego uh been running a, a lab down there generating human brain tissue in a petri dish in the lab. Now the we mentioned before the real um, real application as far as um, with medical applications. That's what I'm looking for. I was looking for the word medical. Uh, real medical applications for something like this. So this would be to try to combat Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that. That's where this grew out of. But it's kind of taken on another life of its own. So these are kind of what they look like. They're they're called organoids. Uh, they create simple neural networks uh, within there. So this is like this is human brain tissue. Uh, it's through stem cell research, uh, and they have actually created living human brain tissue uh, that actually create these simple neural networks, and they have actually taken these and fed the signals, the neural network signals from these organoids to a robot and the robot actually moves. The robot itself that they that they use is like kind of this claw type robot. It has these little legs and it crawls across the floor. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. So the question then becomes, if you actually have living brain tissue here, could these brain organoids actually establish consciousness? 
Well, possibly. There was one experiment that this group in this lab uh, conducted, or I guess they published the paper in 2019, so it would have been conducted earlier. It was called uh, Cell Stem Cell and reported the creation of human brain organoids that produce coordinated waves of activity resembling those seen in premature babies. The waves continued for months before the team shut the experiment down. And they stated that this type of brain-wide coordinated electrical activity is one of the properties of a conscious brain. So they got enough brain activity going on within these brain organoids that they were able to produce, there's enough neural activity going on to produce wave output that you would actually see in a, in a premature baby, a baby that you know just hasn't been born yet, that would still be in the womb. So they've gotten enough for that. So then it comes down to, okay, when does consciousness enter the body? And we also have to start asking the question, if our brains and body are receptors for consciousness, and our consciousness comes from that home world or wherever it is down here. If, it, if the consciousness isn't here in the brain body sort of thing, if it's out there, and this is a receptor just taking that in, at what point would a consciousness from there, you know, who, whomever, say, there's enough going on in that body, this brain, that... I'm going to experience, and let's say it's in a robot, I'm going to experience life down there and become, does, does that make it then consciousness? That, well, does that then make it sentient? If a consciousness from wherever we come from enters in because there's enough activity going on in there, and then does that create the sentience? You have to start asking that sort of question because they've taken this even further now. This is going to look a little gross. Sorry. Ooh, what is that? Okay. So what this is, this came out August 2021, where they developed a brain organoid with optic cups that has a retinal tissue. So those black balls there are optic cups with retinal tissue that responds to light. So basically, they created brain organoids with eyes. So now we're taking it even further. Now we're creating, now this is something, again, looking from a medical perspective, this is something that you could see to help cure blindness. So from their research for Alzheimer's, dementia, this would be for, for blindness. Um, they're, they're creating this material, this brain matter, that could possibly end up being a receptor for consciousness. Now, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to exist in that. But when they start having this stuff interact with robots and the robots are actually moving, then that starts making you wonder, okay, if they actually went more down that path rather than what they've been doing on the medical side. And there are others, of course, that are they're interested in, in this type of um in this type of research, you know, taking that material and then boom, we're going to create a robot with an actual human brain.
you know, and if we, again, come down from that home world and establish ourselves within that robot with the human brain, is that sentience. So um, I saved this one for later. Anne actually had a couple of different comments for, for the class question, and this was one of them. She said, watch something manifest, or I watched something manifest into our world and walk down the street. I've seen shadow entities. There are examples of overlapping of universes, I think, or at least time. So then what about if in another universe, it is normal that robots do have consciousness and one of those consciousness cross over into our world and inhabits one of these. So this kind of gets into our, uh, you know, interdimensional beings, time slips, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we, we have seen, there are theories out there, uh, about uh, different things, like with the gray aliens. Um, like all of them look very similar. Uh, they, you know, they all have like the same body. They're not wearing any clothes. Um, they seem to have like no emotion whatsoever, but they seem to be organic and biological in, in nature. So the question then becomes, okay, are these like a biological sort of drone? Are they almost like robots, but with, biological material to them you know they're going about doing their business as instructed but aren't necessarily a sentient being with a consciousness this asks this starts asking a lot of different questions but then we have sentient beings that seem to have a consciousness that traverse those different dimensions uh, that, uh, that do, you know, intelligently interact with us and things like that. So it's a, it's a, it's a mix of different things. And, um, I'm just going to say this, it's talking about this subject just here in one dimension is already a challenge. You start adding other dimensions into it where it seems like they probably already have this type of technology or are using it to some degree. That's a whole other can of worms, but keep it in the back of your mind because we may already be interacting with these things that we're already talking about. It's just, we haven't developed it. Some other uh, civilization in a whole different dimension has. All right. A lot of material, like I said, we're getting down to the, the wire here and we, we got more stuff to go. Okay. So quickly through transhumanism, because um, this is where a lot of this stuff starts. You know, we don't just jump straight to, AI being a sentient being, we mix it with ourselves, transhumanism. So this is basically a social and philosophical movement devoted to promoting the research and development of robust human enhancement technologies. Such, such technologies would augment or increase human sensory reception, emotive ability, or cognitive capacity, as well as radically improving the human health and extend human lifespans. So um, one of the... the Quotes just looking up transhumanism. The coming years will usher in a number of body augmentation capabilities that will enable humans to be smarter, stronger, and more capable than we are today. So in our science fiction, because go, oh, I've been going back to that the whole time, uh, Blade Runner. So uh, the replicants in Blade Runner, they're genetically engineered, bio-enhanced uh, beings. Uh, the idea came from replicating or the biological process of a cell making a copy of itself. And this is the famous Rutger Hauer scene. I'm going to read this off because I just, I love this scene. Uh, he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. 
I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. So I just, I, I love that line. And it's, and it's sad because, you know, they basically considered the replicants a, you know, lower class of human because they were um, not like an original human. You know, they were a biologically enhanced version of a human. And so they were considered like lower class, but they saw things that we, that would absolutely amaze us because of, you know, where they were deployed in the universe. And because they were dying, there was no way to, you know, retain those memories, these amazing things that they saw. So that kind of almost goes back to the idea of, hey, let's download those memories, you know, before they are gone and lost like tears and rain. Um, so we are augmenting our reality as we speak. We, we see this, uh, you know, all the time. Um, and not just, okay, this is uh, VR, virtual reality, which we'll get into here in a second, uh, but our our personalized ads. We have augmented reality games like Pokemon Go. Uh, we have recommendations brought to us all the time, like food recommendations, music recommendations, all based on us. It's augmenting our realities. Tom mentioned the smart home devices earlier. Absolutely. Uh, GPS directions always gives us, you know, the best routes or whatever it is specifically that we're looking for. Filters on apps, you know, the those things that uh, make us look beautiful or give us dog ears or, you know, whiskers or whatever we want to do to ourselves. You know, that's augmentation. Um, and then there is, I have it right here. Then there's a VR system. I actually just got this. Um, because of, and we'll get to, I have a video that I'm going to play. Uh, this is wild. Now the video, I'm going to show a video here real quick. Um, it's about four minutes. The video that you see is, is a square, but when you are in that environment, it's, it, it's all around you. It's a three-dimensional environment. It's like you're standing right in it. It's just, it's trippy. Um, because everything just looks amazing. Like you've actually stepped into that world. So I have a video here that I'm going to uh, play real quick to give you a taste of, of what this is like. Okay. So here I am. It looks like I am in the Island of Mist. Yes. The old 1993 game. They actually turned it into a VR game. I'm actually standing in my garage right now, spinning around. But what I see is the island. There's the library behind me. I've got the pool in front of me. I've got these devices on the side and I can actually walk up. Now I'm confined to a certain space and I chose the garage because it's a little bit of a bigger space that I can create. Uh, in this game, if I walk too far, I hit what they call a, a guardian boundary and that will keep me from walking into walls and things like that. See how far I can go here before I hit one of those boundaries. And I'm able to walk up to this, well, almost to this device. So I will have to teleport there. They give you the option to teleport up to something once you start getting too far. But I can actually grab this and turn it. It's not doing anything right now. There we go. So we've got a goose or a duck or a swan or something like that on this. But I'm able to turn that with my hand, which is absolutely fascinating. 
Um, I can also, let's go up into the, uh, into the library here. You know, and it gives you the illusion, it's really kind of crazy here, you know, that I am actually walking up the steps. I will go ahead and uh, teleport in, because I'm getting a little too, I'll back up a little bit. When you get close to the guardian boundaries, that's when it kind of breaks the immersion a little bit. Now, I'm walking straight. It, it, the eyes trick you. It's really pretty funky. We'll go up to the books here. And I can actually grab one of these books. And I'm actually, I can, I can read the book here. And I can actually turn the pages and read the book right in here. So it's really quite fascinating what you can do here. And I can go ahead. I can put that down. And there it is. Let's go over to the fireplace here. There we go. Now I'm going to go ahead and open it up. I'm going to go ahead and step right into this. And boom, it feels like I just stepped right into it, even though I didn't actually physically touch a step. But I'm looking around. Look, now I can kind of peer out. Hey, how's it going? You know, like I'm actually inside this thing. It's really uh, quite crazy. Now, if you are inside of some sort of like giant warehouse, so here, let me walk up to this. I can move this, it doesn't do anything yet. But I can go right up to the water. I got the barrier again. <laughs> I can go right up to the water, and it feels like I'm standing on the edge of the water. It's just, it's really, really surreal. Let's make this a clean fight. Okay, so now I'm in a boxing match. This is actually why I got this. It's because this is supposed to give a pretty aerobic workout, and it does. And see, there's, there's my coach. All right. Got a little bit of a crowd here. Ooh. Okay. But this is what really kind of trips me up. So you talk about AI and being in an immersive experience. It, 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 even though you don't get hit in the head, you flinch a lot. So I'll do this for a moment here. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, Sarah says, don't get seasick. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It, it, I don't know why the recording of that kind of bobbed around a bit. It was not bobbing so much like that when I was actually in there. So it might have had something to do with the recording feature. And uh, you guys had a number of different comments and questions in here, but we only got a few minutes left in class, so I'm not going to be able to get to all those. I will actually save some of these for the uh, the monthly Q&A. So um, I'm going to skip the part about the the robot in the temple in, uh, in Japan. That's really interesting where they've actually taken a, well, I'll show it real quick. Um, so this thing, it's, it, its name is Canon. Uh, robot modeled after Canon Barzatva, designed to explain the teachings of Buddha in plain terms. This was unveiled uh, just a couple of years ago in the Kodaji Temple in the western Japan city of Kyoto. Um, and so basically, this is uh, based off of the Buddhist goddess of mercy. And it will give speech and do teachings and all kinds of stuff. People will actually go to this temple and, and there it is.
So um, they are using, they're immersing robots into their culture. So when it comes to AI and like true artificial intelligence that seems sentient in nature, um, people are saying that it's probably going to take quantum computing to do it. Because right now, you know, with our radar computing, we have ones and zeros on or off, can only be on or off one state at a time. We've become very, very proficient with that and everything has uh, been accelerated. Things are very, very fast. And so we're able to do these uh, very complex computations. And really when it comes to AI, and you're programming uh, a simulation. And I've shown this before when we've done stuff on simulated universe where um, it's really a bunch of, you know, different situational type of things that you put into the program. And like there's, you know, X percentage that this will happen, X percentage that'll happen. You run a run it through a bunch of random number generators and you can get very, very complex with that um, and create something that seems you know, almost lifelike to, in a sense, that this decision was made and it makes sense according to you know, whatever the situation was. When we get into quantum computing, however, this is where it can be one or a zero, or it can be a one and a zero at the same time. So you're adding another level to all of this. Just recently here, another uh, more research that just came out recently, uh, time crystals. Um, the time crystals are not like for time traveler making like, you know, the flux capacitor or whatever. I kind of joked around about that on my Facebook that, hey, you know, flux capacitor is coming. Um, but really what this is, it's a just, it's a different type of crystals. The way the crystal is formed. Um, so physicists have created a system of two connected time crystals. Uh, these are strange quantum systems that are stuck in an endless loop to which the normal laws of thermodynamics do not apply. By connecting two time crystals together, the physicists hope to use the technology to eventually build a new kind of quantum computer. To date, we do not have a quantum computer, but we've been talking about it for like ever. So I'll give you a little bit deeper analysis analysis on time crystals. Uh, time crystal keeps moving and repeats itself periodically in time in the absence of external encouragement. This is possible because a time crystal is in its lowest energy state. The basic rules of quantum mechanics prevent the motion from becoming completely still, and so the time crystal remains stuck in this never-ending cycle. So basically that means they are perpetual motion machines, which theoretically aren't possible. But yeah, with these time crystals and what they're doing with two of them together like that, it is. Which could possibly be the basis for finally making a quantum computer. So right now it's all in theory, right? Um, to actually make it practical and make it happen, that really hasn't happened yet. Uh, but they've put together the models of, you know, well, you know, if we do this, that, or the other thing, we might be able to make this happen. And this might be where we finally get to that quantum computing state. We shall see. And when it comes to, you know, this, this real AI that could possibly, you know, become a sentient being, whether or not it has a consciousness, well, we've talked about that a little bit. Um, that's another, it's, it's another layer. So, you know, AI we already have today. You know, we've seen it in some very simplistic forms. We've seen it in some you know, very interesting, complex forms. Um, sentience would be the next level. And the one guy there at Google is claiming it, it exists. 
We don't know. It's debatable. And then the next level after that would be, after sentience would be consciousness. So step by step. <laughs> All right, everybody. Really do appreciate you joining me for the class uh, this evening. Tom's wondering, yeah, that's the, uh, that's, that's the Oculus. That's the Oculus too. So, uh, yeah, thank you everybody for joining me for the, the class this evening. Uh, we will not have a class next week. I'll look into if we're going to do one the following week that's right before going to Ireland, uh, but I don't want to, I don't want to be gone from the class for a month either. We definitely won't have Ireland. So, um, so at least it'll be at least two weeks from now, from now before we have another class. Um, but I will let you know, uh, be on the lookout. I am going to be posting, uh, more information on the connected universe portal about shadow dimension season two um actually i had recorded a um a morning mug the other day in the recording for whatever reason when i processed the video it really maxed out on the exposure so i was thinking about reprocessing it probably just going to leave it i'm going to post that tomorrow morning but be on the lookout for more behind the scenes stuff that is coming and so supplement some of that stuff while we're gone from class for for these weeks so all right everybody you have a good night Till next time, if time really exists.